SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Is pushing the odds. Pushing the odds. Live from Las Vegas. Vegas, baby, Vegas! Here's your host, Matt Peralt. Off and running on a Friday. What's up? Welcome to Vegas, everybody. It is pushing the odds here on Sports Good Channel 204 on Sirius XM. We are with you exclusively here for an hour. We stream this show on my Twitter account at Sports Talk. Matt, if you want to watch the show as well as listen to the show, we got a lot to get to in the program. And thanks to JJ Watt for pretty much torching my plans on the day. So, I very much wanted to get into the Daytona 500. In fact, we will do that a lot. And when Nick Bromberg from Yahoo Sports will come on at 40 past during this hour to make bets in place on the Daytona 500. It is, I call it the best napping sport, sporting event of the year. Meaning you can turn on the TV set, you can lay down, and you can watch about like 100 laps and take a great, wonderful nap for like 30 minutes, an hour. You wake up, and the race is still going on. And they're still going round and around and around. And then it really gets going in about like the last 50 laps. You start to really lock in and realize, okay, where am I going to be here for my bets? That's kind of Daytona. That's what, how Daytona has been for me for the last couple of years. So I love it. I love betting on it. I don't really bet on the events happening on Thursday and Friday and Saturday. I know it's a whole speed week deal. I get it. But I get involved with the Great American Race on Sunday. So we'll do that coming up this hour of the pro- during this hour of the program. But clearly, J.J. Watt and the Texans did not want me to do a lot on the Daytona 500. They wanted me to be heavily involved with J.J. Because J.J. asked for a release and he received it today from the Texans, and he decided to, to do it himself, to go out and put out this two-and-a-half or two-minute long video thanking the Texans and explaining why he asked and why he has received his release from the Houston Texans. He was due to make quite a bit of money this year, so maybe he would have been a cap casualty anyway. And he clearly wasn't happy with the direction of the organization. The last time we saw J.J. Watt speaking around a camera or around a microphone was when J.J. was telling Deshaun Watson that we wasted one of your prime years. So clearly he wasn't really happy with the way the Texans were being run. And when you lose J.J. Watt, just ask Bill O'Brien what happens when you lose J.J. Watt. You're gone. Or, in this case, J.J.'s gone. So where could he wind up? Well, look, it makes a lot of sense for him to go back to Wisconsin to go back home, right? Go chase a ring. That's the obvious, right? Going to chase a ring? So going to Wisconsin and playing with Aaron Rodgers would make a whole lot of sense. So that right there is, okay, is he going to go play with the Packers? Number two would be the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, Pittsburgh obviously having his two other brothers, both Watt brothers, to make up a Watt trio would be incredible. But this is the three-time AP Defensive Player of the Year in 2012, 14, and 15. This dude was the face of the Houston Texans. Yeah, Deshaun Watson was an incredible piece, but he was a young leader. This dude for a decade was the Texans. And just to see this guy go somewhere else is going to be wild 
to me. I lived in Houston for a little while. When I tell you that there are billboards of J.J. Watt's face all over the place, you can't watch local TV without seeing J.J. Watt. He is a marketing machine in that market. It's not just the money he made from the Texans. If you had a big-time ad budget and you wanted something to pop in Houston, you had J.J. Watt. He was the 2017 Walter Payton Man of the Year. He raised $35 million for the hurricane flood victims. I mean, he was going to raise like 100000 He raised $35 million. I mean, this is like when you look up a guy who uses his platform for good, when you look up what you want out of your face franchise, what your leader to be like, it is J.J. Watt. And now you are mutually deciding to go in separate ways and you're not going to trade the guy? I mean, like, what? That's the weird thing is that, okay, he asked for his release. Asking for the release and getting a release are two very different things. He doesn't have to be released. You could have traded him anywhere you wanted to trade him. Now, you could say, well, maybe nobody wanted that contract. I, I, I Really? I don't know if I buy that. It's J.J. Watt. He's got years left. He hasn't been as productive as he as he has before, but he pretty much is a destructive force on a defensive line. So you put him, you know, I think the Raiders will be involved with J.J. Watt coming up. I think the Raiders, that's what they need. I mean, if they want Richard Sherman in their locker room, why wouldn't they want J.J. Want J.J. Watt in their locker room? They are in desperate need of a pass rusher to come in and teach some of the younger players how to be a pro. So I don't know. J.J., you want to live here in Vegas? I think you may have a shot at it. I think John Gurdon's phone's going to be picked up and you're going to get a call. I think the Patriots will call. I think Bill Belichick's been on record saying how much of a lover he is of the game of J.J. Watt. I think you could see all sorts of teams think about getting involved. And it's going to come down to, okay, J.J., one, do you want to chase a ring or get paid? Because you were due to make over $17 million. So which is it? Do you want to you know, win or do you want to get paid? If he says, I've made enough money, I'm good. Or maybe he tells the Bears, hey, my wife plays in Chicago. I want to go to Chicago. Find a way. Let's build this. Now, the Bears have obvious questions at quarterback and their offense and whatnot. But, I mean, you put J.J. Watt on that defensive line. Oh, my. Pretty impressive. I mean, this is a major, interesting, wild story today that I did not see coming. And it just kind of blew up the program. (laughs) So we'll have a lot on J.J. Watt. On his career in Houston, Jack Easterby's influence on this decision. What is Cal McNair doing? Nick Casario and company. Our four big stories. Clearly, J.J. Watt starts it off next. It is a Friday. We're pushing the odds here at SportsGrid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. You're listening to Pushing the Odds. Live from Las Vegas, here's Matt Peralt. 702751 Matt, the text line to hop in with us here today on Sports Good 204 702 Daytona 500 is coming up on Sunday, and the FanDuel Sportsbook has put out some information about what betters are doing across the country at their books in, in legalized sports gambling states. 
So you've got a big bet that they are reporting at the FanDuel Sportsbook on Ryan Blaney at plus 1,200. Somebody has put down $1,875 on Ryan Blaney to win Daytona. The top five drivers so far right now heading into the weekend, as you would expect, Denny Hamlin at plus 800. Pretty good value on a guy who has won the last two Daytona 500s and three of the last four. It's pretty much been the Denny Hamlin Invitational here, but he didn't run all that well last night, so there's some questions about him. But 8-1 to one on Denny Hamlin's a pretty good return on a guy who has dominated. Chase Elliott's at plus 1,000. Kyle Busch at plus 1,500, Ryan Blaney at plus 1,200, like I mentioned, and Kevin Harvick at plus 1,500, top five drivers in terms of handle at FanDuel right now heading into the Daytona 500. In terms of bet count, Denny Hamlin, Chase Elliott, Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, and Joey Logano at plus 1,200 are the top five drivers from a bet count perspective at FanDuel right now. And at each... uh, They looked at the bet count for states that have never had legalized sports gambling on a NASCAR event and who they would be backing. So Michigan, they are backing Denny Hamlin. Virginia also backing Denny Hamlin. And Tennessee is backing Chase Elliott. So, look, this is going to be an interesting race. It's always weird with NASCAR because their biggest race is their first race. And they start the year with their Super Bowl with the Daytona 500. I've been a big advocate of not doing this. I've been a big advocate that since sports gambling has become a pretty important part of the NASCAR business model, that they should rethink Daytona or they should try to make races in in January to get the appetite started to enable gamblers to try to have some data. Because what, what ends up happening is that everyone tends to look at, at Speed Week And they try to project as to what's going to happen for Daytona. And while you can do that, you can see like, okay, so Toyotas are running quite well right now. So you think that Denny Hamlin would have a pretty good opportunity to run in in in, in maybe, you know, top five, top ten. I don't necessarily recommend betting outright winners. It's kind of how I I bet golf. I don't normally bet outright winners when I bet golf. I do bet a lot of head-to-heads. For NASCAR, I think head-to-heads are really the better way of going about it and looking at average finishes and looking at where they are. It's the race within the race, right? So, okay, great. You got a guy who's going to win, but... I would much rather have something that I can watch where you're you're getting decent odds and, and you know plus eight hundred great odds on Danny Hamlin and Bush at fifteen hundred fifteen to one on Kyle Bush is great and you can sprinkle around like that if you want but I think if you're going to make a real like half a unit or full unit bet on Daytona I think you do have to come up and grab a head to head or two just to have something going where you can feel more confident that like okay Denny Hamlin versus who are you going to go ahead and get into so. If you're going to bet NASCAR and you're going to bet Daytona this weekend, I think that's the better way of doing it. So you got that you got that event. We have the UFC pay-per-view card coming up uh, that we'll get into with Joey Odessa in the next hour about UFC 258. And while I don't love the card, I do think there's some interesting betting angles to take a look at as to what could happen here for this event, this main event, because Kamaru Usman I mean, I think the books opening him up, opening him up the first time around at minus 160, and then all of a sudden now the second time around, once this fight got rescheduled, you know he's a you know he's a one to three favorite here to win this fight, and I think it's actually appropriate because the public's going to bet Burns. They're going to say, oh, they train together, and oh, they know each other, and I just think Usman is too dominant. 
he's just an elite fighter. He really is. An absolute elite fighter. Great mixed martial artist. And I just don't think Burns, unless he catches him early, I don't think Burns is going to win the fight. I don't think it's going to be a, a spectacular fight. I don't think it's going to be an insane fight, but it's a title fight for the welterweight division. And I think Kamaru Usman's going to win the, win the, win the fight in coming up. And I think the public's going to be real careful here by betting the dog. I wouldn't go heavy here on Gilbert Burns coming up on Saturday night. So we've got Saturday for that. We've got Sunday for Daytona. We've got NBA basketball. We've got a lot of things to get to. But clearly, the whole entire sports world, and we'll start the Big Four with this, is all talking about J.J. Watt. And J.J. Watt asking and receiving a release. The Houston Texans deciding to honor this guy at the request. The question I would have is what happens if J.J. Watt didn't ask for a contract release? Would they have cut him? And that was there was a lot of talk about maybe he was going to get cut because of his big contract and their productivity right now just wasn't matching the the contract that he was getting paid. But it's the face of your franchise who today went to social media and told everybody that he wants to be and has been released from the Texans. I have tried to do everything in my power to work and earn your respect and try and make you proud on and off the field. Um, You guys have given me everything and more, and I can only hope that you feel like I've given you everything I have. Yeah, that guy owns Houston nothing. He's been an incredible figurehead for that franchise for a decade. Number two, the Warriors saw 10 threes go down for Steph Curry. There's a lot of MVP buds going around around right now for Steph Curry. But the shot that everyone's talking about is the shot that didn't count. Underhanded three-point shot at the end of the game. The line was eight. Shot right to eight as 88% of the money came in on the Warriors. If you bet that game late, Ouch. The line closed at eight. That three-point shot that went up and went in. Underhanded scoop didn't count. Final score, final margin was six. That three would have made it nine, and it would have counted for gamblers last night against the Magic. Instead, I cashed, five and a half cashed, six pushed. Everybody else lost. But after the game, Steve Kerr talked about his star player, Steph Curry. It is routine, which... uh... Which is the crazy part of it, you know. You you um, you just come to expect it, and um, these threes that he hits when there's nothing there offensively, and he just uh, uses his dribble to to you know free him up, free himself up. Not exactly with a ton of space, just uh, you know a few inches of space, and then he rises up, and and you expect every single one of them to go in. It's um, it's kind of crazy. So he's in a he's in a really good groove, and so is Draymond. I think that's uh, a big part of it is just how well Draymond is playing and how well they play together. Number three, Trevor Lawrence had his workout today before surgery. He'll have on his non-throwing shoulder workout today in front of the Jaguars. Head coach, new head coach, Urban Meyer, and new offensive coordinator, Daryl Bevel, who was asked what he wanted to see from Lawrence today. For me, it's just important, like I said earlier, just to see the ball come out of his hands. I think that one of the hardest things to do um, on tape is, you know, is one to be able to tell velocity um, and, you know, and just, just the way it comes out of his hand. Also, I want to see, you know, the command that he's going to have, you know, kind of our first opportunity to be able to get him in person. So um, excited to do that. We won't be able to, you know, to meet and talk to him like we normally would before or after. So it's just going to be, um, you know, the, the workout itself, um, but excited to, to, you know, to watch him throw in person. Fourth and finally, Tom Brady's going to have offseason knee surgery. Big deal. Not according to Jeff Darlington of ESPN. 
This is not the beginning of the end for Tom Brady by any means at 43 years old. This is a planned surgery that he's had in the works for several months. Uh, he actually never was listed on the injury report throughout the season because, quite honestly, it never kept him out of practice or anything like that. It is uh, considered minor based on the conversations that I've had so far. Shouldn't keep him out of any offseason work either. Those are our four big stories we're covering for you guys here today on a Friday's Pushing the Odds, 702-751. Matt is our text line, 702-751-6288. And look, surgery, surgery, right? I mean, I don't know. At 43, 44, still having surgery on his knee. Cleaning it up, they say it's maybe a little more than just cleaning it up, but okay. <laughs> It's, it's surgery, so I think it's a little more than just nothing. All right, next, Trevor Lawrence will set the draft. What happens afterwards? And betting on the draft this year, what's going to happen afterwards? We'll get into that little draft draft betting talk next year. I'm pushing the odds. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. This is Pushing the Odds. Live from Las Vegas, here's Matt Peralt. 702-751-MATT, 702-751-6288 is the phone number to hop in. This story just broke. This is weird here. And so I'll just, I'll just read this quickly, and then we can, if there's, if there's more to it, I'll get into it. But Play Michigan, playmichigan.com is reporting that the governing body in West Virginia is investigating Barstool's rough and rowdy boxing event after Dave Portnoy says Jose Canseco took a dive during one of their during the fight last weekend. There was regulated betting on it in Michigan, but no one lost money this time. So, I okay. I mean, this is kind of odd. Barstool put the fight on, as Legal Sports Report is re- is reporting today. Barstool put the fight on. Barstool took bets in the fight in Michigan. And now the founder of Barstool saying Canseco took a dive in the fight and put it on and booked it. I, I, I don't, I mean, that's, I cannot be good for regulated sports betting. Okay. That, that's, you know, that, that, that can't be good. <laughs> that, that can't be good. So hopefully I don't, that, that's one of those like, hmm, stories when we're covering sports gambling as to like what may come out of that. And there may be some. Regulation be put forth by that. I, I don't. I don't really like that story. But there's clearly more to come there from that story. If if we're talking about you know the the regulating bodies are going to have to do investigations. Something are doing investigations with legalized because clearly if you're talking about someone taking dives, that's pretty big. <laughs> I don't think. I don't know if I didn't see the fight. I saw like the last two seconds and Tinko's grabbing his back, saying his back was hurt. I don't know if that was. Real or not, but I also saw Darren Ravel report that Conseco made a million dollars on that fight. So that's a lot of money. <laughs> clearly, there was real money involved in this. And so there's going to be an investigation, clearly, as to what exactly happened. But if no one lost money on it, then I guess that's a good thing, right? If gamblers didn't lose money on it, that's that's a good thing. Uh, before we get to J.J. Watt's next team I, 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 and what's going on, I want to talk about the draft real quick here. Because I think it's interesting to see... After Trevor Lawrence, who is a minus 650, you know, minus 700, he'll probably go off after today. He'll probably go off come April. 
like minus a thousand or more for him. I mean, he's going number one. There's no way he's not going number one. You saw one coach yesterday, today, one coach that was next to him the entire time. That was Urban Meyer. <laughs> Urban Meyer was on the field, five yards away, staring at Trevor Lawrence the entire time. He's going one. Okay, there's no debate. Who goes two? is the question, because a quarterback has been taken number one in five of the last six drafts. Miles Garrett did not go. He was he he went one to the Browns. That's the last, guy, last time we saw a number one pick not be a quarterback. So after that, where does Justin Fields go? And this is where betting on the draft is going to be interesting, because how many quarterbacks get taken in the first round? That's a fun bet to make. There's maybe five this time around. So we'll see where the books put the number. You could see running backs taken. How many running backs get taken? Normally, it's like one and a half that number is going to be. There's a couple of decent running back prospects. How many defensive linemen get drafted? Like, it's hard. And in Vegas, depending upon how they do it year to year, they're still trying to really fine-tune how they allow gambling on the draft. It's only going to be year number four, I think this is, on drafting, on betting on the draft. The East Coast books, the FanDuel sports book and such, they've got much more, you know, they're much more comfortable offering a, a long market, a large market on the draft where one player goes. Like, when it first started, you couldn't bet who goes first, second, third. You could have bet. Um, they allowed you to say, is this player going one, yes or no? Like, I believe two years ago, we could bet whether or not we were going to see a quarterback going in the first pick overall. And then you could say yes or no, whether or not you were going to see a certain player get drafted in the top five. Like, you could do those things, but you couldn't say, like, at number two, Justin Fields goes number two. That may change here in Vegas. They become more comfortable with these types of wagering because the public really wants it. The public wants to be invested, wants to be involved. And the, the handle on the East Coast and across the country, when folks are coming to Vegas for these events and saying, okay, I want to go to Vegas for March Madness, or I want to go to Vegas for the Super Bowl or Vegas for the draft or whatever it might be, when they're coming from legalized sports markets that places like FanDuel operates in, they come to Vegas where FanDuel is not operating, and they look at the menu and they go, what? Wait a minute. Hold on a second. Like, I look at my FanDuel Sportsbook and then I look at you guys and why is there not the same? Like, what's the menu? Why is the menu so different? And the more that happens, the more pressure will be placed upon the Vegas books to open up and not be so conservative and not be so tight with what they're offering from a menu perspective. It means they got to hire more people. I mean, that's what I've been told for years here in Vegas as to why we don't have the menu that books like FanDuel will operate. It's because they don't want to hire out, and FanDuel has an army of people that they utilize across the country to help them put together lines and make markets. It doesn't happen here in Vegas. I mean, there are books here in Vegas that will have one or two live in-game opportunities a night in terms of like what they're booking. In the East Coast, it's like everything. You can live bet everything. There's nothing you can't live bet. Like, what do you mean? So that's part of the problem when it comes to us here in Vegas in the, quote, sports gambling capital of the world. And, yes, we do take the bigger bets. We do take more big high rollers because we've got the casino players to play off of when they come into town. And yesterday here in Vegas, we got extremely good news from the governor where coming up on Monday – the Vegas Golden Knights and boxing events are going to be able, if they have venues that can seat more than 10,000 people, they can go ahead and put forth a plan how they would bring in 20,000, sorry, 20% of their uh, potential audience, their attendance numbers, up to 20%. How would they do that? So, Vegas Golden Knights games, boxing events, 
UFC events. I mean, there are in March, there are two gigantic UFC cards on the docket. Five title fights will be decided in the UFC coming up in the month of March. So there's a good chance. I don't think the first one, which is March the 6th, I don't think the first one will have fans, but it might. But the second one is going to have fans in Vegas where we're going to have you know, some semblance of watching the, you know, the, the environments, the sporting events, the events that bring people to this market are going to start to be able to be allowed. Like Vegas is starting to come back. And we are vaccinating people at a very high rate. I got my second shot on Monday. There's a lot of people here in town who are getting vaccinated. Our cases are going down. Our vaccinations are going up. And that's allowing the governor to start to relax some of the rules and regulations around COVID-19 protocols. So Golden Knights games, having a crowd will be electric at T-Mobile to have have a crowd there. Boxing events. There's a couple big fights. Cinco de Mayo is always a monster boxing weekend. Almost every year, Canelo Alvarez fights here in Las Vegas. And now I think we're going to have it. I think we'll have a Canelo fight. I think we'll have a Canelo fight in Vegas with, I mean, by the time we get to May the 5th, we we could end up having 50% or more in the building. So that's super exciting. And then, you know, as the Golden Knights go into the postseason, They lost one nothing at home. It's crazy. They're a young team, but you know they've never lost a team over the arena one nothing before last night when the Anaheim Ducks, who were one of the worst offensive teams in the league, beat them one nothing. Mark Andre Fleury was psychotic last night. Those gold helmets need to go away for Vegas. Those things were awful. But I had, I don't normally parlay, but I had a two leg money line parlay going where I had Winnipeg at. You know, minus 230, I think it was, and they destroyed Ottawa, who is horrible right now. Bet against Ottawa. Every time Ottawa plays, just bet against them. And so it was a 5-1 win. Their puck line cashes, money line cashes, but then I needed the Golden Knights to get on the other leg of that. It was only plus 115, but Vegas losing it one nothing. so that's why I always say don't parlay, but I did, and I was dumb, and I should just bet the, bet the things outright. But anyway, a... A loss there for Vegas at home, kind of a historic loss against the Ducks uh, at home for the Vegas Golden Knights. But having a crowd there in the playoffs, it's going to be, uh, I mean, amazing. That's going to be great when that happens. Now, again, it's like a double-edged sword. Like, it's great, but you got to be safe, right? It's great, but you got to wear masks. And it's great, you got to socially distance. And you got to make sure that everyone gets being tested for, for COVID and, you know, showing your vaccination card and whatnot. When I got my vaccine, when I got my second shot, the guy who gave me the shot gave me that, that that card, that CDC card, and he was like, protect that at all costs. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, that's basically going to be your entry fee to like anything you want to do. He's like, you want to fly? You're going to need that. You want to be, you want to go to a sporting event? You're going to need that. Like, you're a vaccinated person. Here's your second shot. You know, laminate this and hold on to this because you're going to need it. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm glad that I have it, but clearly that's going to be a pretty important piece for when you do get your vaccine and hopefully everybody will be getting their vaccines, get your shot when you're eligible. My wife is getting her first shot next week. I've had my first two already. If you wonder why a 43 year old guy got it, I teach at UNLV and UNLV decided to vaccinate their entire staff because they want us to be in person. So I'm teaching a course, my, my journalism course that I teach at UNLV. It is, uh, I am there every Monday and Wednesday. So I'm in person with my classes, with my class, and so they want all faculty to be, to be vaccinated. So that's why I was able to get that. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this market 
once we kind of rev back up because everyone I know is telling me that they're coming to Vegas. One of my really good friends is getting married in September. He was supposed to have gotten married last May. I'm in the wedding. And he we were going to do the bachelor party like in a variety of different places. And last week he was like, nah, man, we're going to Vegas. I was like, really? He's like, yeah. He's like, we're going to Vegas. Everyone says go to Vegas, go to Vegas, go to Vegas. Everyone wants to come to Vegas. Everyone's saying, when should I come back? I've been saying July 4th. You want to see real Vegas? You want to see 1920s post-prohibition style Vegas? <laughs> That's where we're going to get coming up July 4th weekend here in this city. It's going to be ridiculous here. We have new properties that are opening up, virgins opening up. It's going to be wild here this summer. It's really going to be a lot of fun. Speaking of fun, Daytona, Nick Bromberg, Yahoo Sports. Let's make some picks, plays, and bets on the great American race next year. I'm pushing SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. The Great American Race, the 2021 Daytona 500. Let's get into it with Dick Bromberg from Yahoo Sports. The big race on valentine's day of all days coming up on sunday not sure that cooperates it works well with people's schedules but that's what it is for the great american race 2 30 eastern time at daytona with the back-to-back defending champion denny hamlin coming in here nick bromberg i'm pushing the odds nick matt Perel, how are you what's happening what's more romantic than cars going in circles <laughs> Turning left real fast, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. I know it was one of those things where when I saw the calendar, it was, it was I'm not, I obviously can't travel to Daytona this year because of the world. And it was, uh, hey, uh, I'm working, so let's do something a different day. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, I mean, my wife and I have this conversation all the time about Valentine's Day. And, and we're kind of like, we've been married now for seven, eight years. And we're kind of like, we've been together now for long enough. We're like, Okay, Valentine's Day is all fun and dandy. We'll do something nice for our daughter because she likes Valentine's Day. But, like, it's – I've never been a fan of Valentine's Day getting back to my single days. So, like, we, we both never really got into it. So, like, I'm fine with it. Like, Friday, Saturday night is probably the time we'll celebrate Valentine's Day in some way. But yeah. it's a Hallmark holiday that I've never really found to be all that interesting. So it's just a personal now, well, preference. You know, thankfully, I, I found someone who is exactly with me on the fact that the best part of Valentine's Day – is the half-price candy the next day. Hey, there you go. Absolutely. Go raid the, your local CVS or Walgreens because they've got to get rid of all that red candy. So, yeah, absolutely. It's a good way of playing it. Uh, okay, so here's Denny Hamlin. He's won three of the last four of these. He's won the last two. I mean, do you have to bet on him even at 8-1, to one, which seems to be a decent value on a guy who's dominated like this when it comes to the Daytona 500? I mean, chances of him winning it again, probably not. But do you have to have something on Hamlin just because? Yeah, I, I think this is, this is where it gets tricky. You know, history's working against him. No driver has ever won three straight Daytona 500s. So if he does this on Sunday, he will become, I mean, as a 
basically has a claim to be one of the greatest Daytona 500 drivers ever, and then will have done something no one else has done. But then, you know, you look at you look at a Denny Hamlin, whereas you go to, say, a Dover or a Pocono or a place where he won last year, and, and you get him at plus 800, that's just, you know, you go, okay, absolutely, that's fantastic value. Here, just because it's Daytona and anything can happen, a crash can happen anywhere, um, you kind of still have to be hesitant. And that's why, if you're going to bet a favorite, I would bet Denny Hamlin, but I think what I would really focus on is a lot of these mid-tier guys who may be plus 3,000, plus 4,000, that aren't going to go win a race at a mile-and-a-half track or even a short track, but have a shot at Daytona. That's where I would start really focusing my attention and money because I think there is a – of any places on the Cup schedule, Daytona and Talladega, those are the places where you have the best potential for a bigger payday. Okay, I got a bunch of questions about drivers and head-to-head, but before let me ask you before I ask you about that, let me ask you about head-to-heads. Where do you think is a smarter way of approaching this race? To bet someone to win the thing outright, sprinkle in four or five drivers, or is it better to focus in on a couple of things like one the manufacturer to bet Toyota to win or Ford to win or Chevy to win, or is it better to bet head-to-heads? Like, how do you recommend approaching the Daytona 500? You know, um, if you're going to be betting the manufacturers, I think you really have to take into account number of cars. And and that's basically number of chances in terms of which each manufacturer has. And in that regard, I would be hesitant to – here's the catch-22. Danny Hamlin drives a Toyota. Kyle Busch drives a Toyota. Martin Truex Jr. drives a Toyota. Those are three guys who are among the top 10, top 15 betting favorites but there's only five Toyotas of the 40 cars in the field. So do you wow. bet the manufacturer who has five cars, or do you want to go with a Ford who has, you know, Kevin Harvick guys from Sporthouse Racing, and you've got the Penske cars? Or do you go with a team like Chevy, where they have the best terms of quantity in terms of winning the Daytona 500 because you have 400 cars. You have RCR cars that were good. We saw how Austin Dillon won his dual race last night. They're good. The JTG Doherty cars are pretty fast. The Chip Ganassi racing cars are pretty fast. So you could theoretically go with the quantity that is Chevy, and I think there's a lot of quality there too, don't get me wrong. Or you can say, well, look, Danny Hamlin drives Toyota, and I've got Kyle Busch as the backup plan. I'm going to take my chances with only five Toyotas. So what do you think happens? Uh, you know, I'm, my pick for the race is <laughs> my pick for the race is Brad Keselowski. So if I was betting a manufacturer, I'd be going with Ford because I think those yeah. Fords looked really good over the course of last night. Kevin Harvick had a really fast car. So Eric Almirola won the first duel. If I was betting a manufacturer, I would bet Ford. But I also think too, in terms of a head-to-head, head-to-heads are really tough at Daytona and Talladega simply because of the draft and the crazy things that can happen with crashes. I would focus on if you like a manufacturer, go there. And then I would also, you know, throw down maybe five or six. I would focus on quantity of bets. I would focus on maybe five or six small bets in terms of mid-tier guys and maybe one long shot you think has a chance to to eke out a win. All right, so let me ask you a couple questions about drivers who are going to be in this field. The return of Kyle Larson at plus 1,700 at the FanDuel Sportsbook. Is he here just to drive, to get his reputation back, to get his career back on track, or does this guy actually have a chance to kind of shock the world here and be in victory lane? I mean, Larson, Larson is one of the guys who I think is he's a top 10 probably guy at the end of the year. And he's, he kind of, he, I, 
will not not be surprised at all if he wins a race, but don't bet him today. I I think his odds are very overvalued. I think he's simply on the board so hot where he is, in the position on the board where he is because of name recognition. Kyle Larson has four top tens in 13 Daytona starts. He has crashed out of like five or six races at Daytona. He has not had the best track record. That obviously can all flip. He's in a very fast car, probably the fastest plate car he's had uh, in his entire Cup Series career. But I would not bet Kyle Larson simply because of where he is on the board. If his odds were maybe, you know, plus 3,000, I would consider it, but I would not take it at plus 17 or plus 1,800. So, Nick, I've been watching Christopher Bell since he was running in the truck series, and I I, I was tied closely for a bunch of years to a a truck team and and watched a lot of truck races and watched Christopher Bell do incredible things in trucks and then incredible things in the Xfinity series and then moving up to Cup and what he has done. He's plus 3,800. Can this kid win the race? Uh, Yes. You know, he's in a car that is, I think, showed some speed last night. He talked about the stuff that he learned in the first dual race and I think only serves him well come Sunday for the Daytona 500. Uh, You know, he's in a car that, you know, Eric Jones has won has won races at Joe Gibbs Racing in that number 20 car. I realize it's a completely different crew chief. You have Kyle Busch's old crew chief now. But I, I think Christopher Bell fits that mold perfectly of guys who, for one reason or another, are on the middle of the board. Bell is there because he doesn't have the, really the experience and the success at Daytona because you know he's only in his second season right now. But he's plus 3,500 because he's in a Joe Gibbs Racing car, and, and those Toyotas are fast. So... Yes, Bell is exactly the type of guy that I'm thinking about when I'm talking about putting maybe one or two, you know, a small bet on a mid-tier guy. So same question, but a guy who has a little shorter odds. William Byron, another young gun, another really talented driver who's waiting to win his, his first real big one. FanDuel's got him at 17-1 to 1 plus 1,700. How do you feel about William Byron? Um, you know, I'm, I think... If it goes down a little bit, I would take it. If it gets up to maybe plus 2,000, I think you jump on it. Because I think there's a chance that the line could move slightly here on Byron. Um, qualified second, but he's going to a backup car. He got crashed out in his dual race last night. So he's going to be starting at the back of the field. This is obviously not the punishment that it typically is at another track, because you can go from back to front of Daytona pretty easily. And I think guys mm. tend, to, tend to wait it out, especially given that it's a 500-mile race. But at the same time, you do have to wonder, is that backup car going to be just as fast, just as good as it as the primary car was that qualified him second? So I would stay away from Byron, but if there's some movement, I would not be I would be ready to jump on it if the line moves on him. Nick Bromberg, I was sports stuck at Daytona with us here on Pushing the Odds. Okay, you say Brad Kay's your guy. Why Kozlowski at plus twelve hundred? What do you like about him coming up on Sunday? You know, I think he's got the right blend of aggressiveness and experience. He understands how the draft works at Talladega and Daytona, and I, I think he's one of the guys where his luck is about to break at Daytona at some point. Um, he's one of the better uh, racers at Daytona and Talladega. I put him in the top five, top six, and he just always seems to be in the wrong place at the wrong time when it comes to Daytona. I, I think that a lot of times you see cycles where – we had one year where Jimmy Johnson crashed out of all four races at Daytona and Talladega. And, you know, guys get in these ruts. Danny Hamlin, through a lot of his own success, you know, was top three in every Daytona and Talladega race last year, just was phenomenal. But that could just easily flip on its head, and then he gets caught in a couple crashes this year, even though he is still a phenomenal racer at Daytona and Talladega, and he's in the right place. He's just in the right place at the wrong time. So I think Keselowski's luck is going to flip. I think he's got an extremely fast car. That being said, i got to stick with my prediction because he is one of the other guys that is going to a backup car because he got caught in the same crash 
that Byron was in last night. So, you know, I, I picked Keselowski earlier in the week, but so I can't, you know, back away from that now. What do you make of, and is it a rivalry between Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott? During the, the, the pandemic lockdown, when NASCAR was one of the only things going on, it was pretty much like every week. It was Hamlin, Elliott, Elliott, Hamlin going back and forth. Is it a rivalry, and, and are these two the best drivers right now on the circuit, and that's why they're 1-2 they're in the odds? You know, no, I I don't necessarily know if I'd call it a rivalry. I think it's simply a product of, you know, guys who are running up front are going to have uh, incidents with each other, and I think that's kind of what, what happened with Hamlin and Elliott. I would put, you know, Kevin Harvick at plus 1,200 is kind of intriguing to me um, mm-hmm. because, you know, he's fifth, sixth on the board. He had a very short and simple tweet last night about how fast his car was, and that doesn't happen very often from Kevin Hart. This is the guy who won basically a quarter of the races last year and was probably, you know, overall was the the best driver in the series, just didn't make it to the Final Four at Homestead. Um, you know, I would put Harvick up there, Joey Logano. You know, there's a reason that after Hamlin and Chase Elliott, you've got four guys in fours. I, I, the next in line and editing odds with Logano, yeah. Blaney, Keselowski, and Harvick. So that's that's another big reason why I would pick Ford there. So Harvick is in the mix, and, and then definitely, you know, Kyle Busch is another guy who I think is quite frankly overdue. And, you know, for Kyle Busch, a Daytona 500 win caps his career. You know, he, he's yeah. can win multiple, he can win more titles, but, you know, Kyle Busch goes from being a two-time champion to a two-time champion and a Daytona 500 winner. Denny Hamlin basically has what Kyle Busch doesn't, and Kyle Busch has what Denny Hamlin doesn't. Interesting. Yeah, I love the Fords. I've made money in the past betting Fords at Daytona. I, I, I just, it, the only thing about Daytona, and we can kind of end it with this, is betting on this race is a ton of fun, but the big one's going to take you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the big one could destroy everything, right? It's just the way this race goes where you got you have to be prepared for that moment where you kind of wash out because every car you've bet is now in in the garage. Right, exactly. And that's why that's really why I like the idea of taking two guys, two or three guys who are near the back of that mid-pack and odds and just saying, hey, look, let's have some fun. Two small bets that I've you know, I know may not cash out, but if they hit, I'll be really happy. Because if you look at the odds for Ryan Priest, I've seen him at some books as high as plus 20,000. That's 200 to 1. And for a guy who has finished third in the Daytona 500 before, and I think was fifth in his dual race last night, fast car, Daniel Suarez, again, I think he's roughly, what, plus 10,000 at BetMGM. So I would imagine he's about the same thing at FanDuel there, you know. Another guy, fast car, was 10th in qualifying, ran well in his dual race on Thursday night. Take a flyer or two on guys like that so you can enjoy the race if your favorite does get crashed out on lap nine. I would totally agree. Yeah, it's 200 to 1 on Suarez at the FanDuel Sportsbook. Good stuff, Nick. Appreciate the time. Enjoy the race on Sunday. Hey, you too. Thanks for having me. That's Nick Bromberg, at Nick Bromberg on Twitter to follow him for the Daytona 500. More to come. It is pushing the odds on a Friday. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 702-751. Matt, the text line. You guys want to hop in here before we welcome in the Sports Map Radio audience. 
two games tonight that I've made bets on that I can give you right here. I've taken the Jazz on the money line tonight at home against the Milwaukee Bucks. It's the game of the night in the NBA. The line has moved. It was minus one last night. It's now two and a half for the Jazz. I think there's a lot of public money coming in here. And my thought is that this line might get to three. And then if it does, I think you'll probably see some buyback and the pros probably will get involved here and, and knock this thing back down a little bit because I just think this game is going to be very tight and I'm really excited to watch it. I think it's going to be a phenomenal game tonight in the NBA. I just don't think that the Milwaukee is going to walk into Utah given how well they have played, 20-5 and five straight up. They're the best team against the spread here uh, in the NBA right now. And, and these are the games where this could be a preview of the Western Conference – or sorry, the – NBA Finals if Utah were to knock off the Lakers. So there's just a lot of hype. The FanDuel Sportsbook's got it at two and a half. The money line is minus 134 right now at FanDuel. I got it at minus 115 last night here in Vegas. So I like the Jazz tonight to win over the Milwaukee Bucks just on the money line. And then one college game. I like Akron tonight against Miami of Ohio. Akron's on the road. It's their third straight road game, so it's not great to bet on a team that's consistently been on the road. I just think Akron is a really good team in terms of their ability to score, and I don't think it, offensively, I don't think Miami of Ohio is going to be able to keep up here, and Akron's been really good against the number. The numbers come down. I bet it at four and a half last night, so I got a worse number betting overnight. It's now four, so there's been some money coming in here on Miami that took the line down. I also like the over in this game at 142 and a half. Akron hasn't been great over their last two to the over, but Miami of Ohio, the over has hit five of the last seven games, and we know that Akron wants to play up-tempo. We know Akron wants to shoot a lot of threes. So I like Akron minus four and a half. And the other play, if you want to get into it as well, is the over 142 tonight. A little maxion tonight. Not a great card on the college basketball slate. Amazing card tom- uh, tomorrow. And we'll talk about it later in the show between Drake and Loyola. Woo, that's a burner in the Missouri Valley. We'll get to in the next hour here for Pushing the Odds. We welcome in Sports Map next here on a Friday. Sports Grid, Channel 2.